Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 155th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In philosophy, there are two types of sins that an individual can feel responsible for. The first is a sin of commission, which is an action that you personally took that led to a harmful outcome. For example, if you decided to rob a bank and shot one of the tellers, any reasonable person would conclude that you were responsible for their death. However, a less obvious sin would be a sin of omission, which often requires a person to look at the actions they failed to take in order to prevent a tragic outcome. For example, a person who goes the entirety of their life not exercising and develops a health condition as a result might be said to have committed a sin of omission as a result of not having maintained their body over the course of their own lifetime. Sins of omission could also be not taking basic preventative steps in preventing a tragedy, such as choosing not to wear a seatbelt or failing to signal before changing lanes. While the person who failed to take these appropriate steps did not deliberately intend for these harmful actions to occur, one could say that through their own willful negligence, they failed to do their best to prevent the loss of life and property. Sins of omission are often harder to trace than sins of commission, as they often require the burden of having to prove that the person who was negligent was aware they were actually being negligent. For example, a person who bakes a cake with peanuts but doesn't ask if anyone has a peanut allergy might be considered to have acted negligently if someone as a result becomes sick. However, for the sin to fully stick, one must first prove that the person baking the cake first knew of the dangers of peanut allergies and secondly, knowingly forgot to ask. Sins of omission often require the person investigating the transgression to know exactly what the person who committed the transgression did or did not know and if their state of mind was in a in a malicious place, which in a court of law or in public opinion can be very difficult to prove. Joining me to help guide us down the most moral path, I am once again joined by Brett. Brett, if I'm not mistaken, you had a difficult problem involving a trolley. <laughs> yes, I don't know if this is, this might be new to your listeners, but a trolley is actually a form of motorized vehicle. I did not know this until recently. Um, no, but so the trolley problem is a, a, an interesting thought experiment that supposes that you are the conductor of a, a trolley, a, a car that's on tracks, a train, basically. And on the tracks that are on your current trajectory are five people who are tied to the tracks. If you do nothing, your trolley will run them over and they will incur some kind of injury. You can, however, pull a button, which will change the switch that you're on, and you will change tracks and they will be fine. But the result will be a person on a different track will get hurt instead. So you either stay on your current track, do nothing, five people get hurt, or you change tracks to the side track, one person gets hurt. And the question is, what should you do? And, and as you said, this is the crux of the trolley problem, which is, is it worse is it worse to do nothing and let people suffer versus to actively inflict harm on others? And then what is the, what is the weight? What is the value of doing that? How many inactive injuries are worth one active injury would be like, I guess, the follow-up question. Okay. Now, as this relates to uh, sins of commission and sins of omission, obviously pushing the button and killing the one person would be the sin of commission because you're knowingly killing that one person. The sin of omission would be simply doing nothing um, because you, you had no role. You didn't actually tie those five people up, uh, but the trolley is going to kill them nonetheless. Right. That's okay. correct. I'm going to give a very unique answer to this problem, and I want to just preface that this is not actually what I would do, okay? It's, this is not what I would do, but this is a very unique answer to this problem. In order to mitigate moral culpability, the correct answer is to randomly start pushing the button, close your eyes, start randomly pushing the button or start pulling the lever and randomly let whatever is going to happen, happen. 
So if you mm -hmm. wanted to, if you wanted to mitigate your own moral culpability in that situation, you close your eyes, you just keep randomly pressing the button or uh, in other iterations of this problem, there's a lever, you just keep randomly close your eyes and just randomly keep fluctuating the lever. And then whatever happens, you can kind of chalk up to fate. You could actually tell people, I did not make that decision to kill those people or not to kill those people. It was fate that ultimately decided who lived and who died. Now, there is some moral culpability because you, you have chosen to leave it up to fate rather than kill one person. So I, I want to be clear here. You're not 100% off the hook because you, you allowed fate to kick in, then, um, then kill the one person. But I feel as if that would be the, if you wanted to remove, if you want to cleanse yourself of any kind of moral culpability, that would be the way to go. That's all. I, I personally would probably not do that, but I just wanted to throw that answer out there. I wonder if that's the equivalent of doing nothing, though. It feels like it's the same thing with just the risk of doing nothing and and harming one person. But it's still the same. It's still a sin of omission, right? I think. It does have some traces of it. The difference being is that you have not, like, you've removed the decision-making agency from yourself so like you know if someone says well why did you choose those five people or why did you choose those one people you can honestly answer i didn't choose any of it fate or random probability chose uh that the track at the last possible minute hit the one person or randomly hit the five people there is there is some guilt that you chose randomness so there is guilt that you chose randomness over just killing one person that much is true and there is a bit of there is a shade of omission in that or an omission or I want to say you've abdicated some kind of moral responsibility by doing that. However, you have removed yourself as the primary agent of, of deciding to take one life as opposed to five lives. Well, that's I feel like that's kind of what the take five lives move is, is you're abdicating responsibility. You're saying I like why did you choose to kill five people? Your answer would be, I didn't choose to kill five people. I didn't, I didn't make a choice. It just, that happened had nothing to do with me. Well, it, you're I, just, I, I think you're just as culpable. And I, I've actually gone, there's actually very complicated versions of this. Um, oh, like yeah. there, there's also versions of this story of like, let's say that one dude is a life-saving doctor and he has the cure for cancer. And if you save his life, he will subsequently go on to save a million lives. You know, like there's, yep. there's a lot of different versions. It gets really, really complicated um, depending on how us philosophers have gone way down this rabbit hole to uh, a ridiculous T. Um, the idea behind this is that with the randomness solution, you basically say, I, I did choose, I chose randomness, right? And, and like when you choose randomness, you are removing some of the agency and some of the power you have over that situation. Like, don't get me wrong, you're doing something that's slightly off, but as far as whether that you're, what you're absolving yourself from is you're absolving yourself from having to decide whether that one life was of more value than those five lives. That's, that's the thing that you're kind of absolving yourself from. So was that, is that, is the answer that you gave, is that like something that's been debate, debated philosophically? Like, is there some schools of thought that delve into that idea of choosing randomly versus, versus uh, the, the closest comparison would be doing nothing? I th to my knowledge, I could be wrong. I don't want to give myself credit here. I think I'm the only one that has answered in the, the random the random option. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe we go into some like Reddit forum from 2003, and there's some dude that also said the same thing. Like I'm not I'm not saying the first person, but I can't I can't cite where that answer comes from. I, I've actually just thought about this issue very deeply, and that's a possibility that most people don't even bring up. I could be wrong. There could be some random Reddit dude who said it in 2003. And if he comes out of the woodwork, okay, you know, I'll give you your citation, you know, uh, Grandmaster Poker 23 or something, <laughs> whatever yeah. his name is. Um, but, and, and, and by the way, that's not the answer that I would necessarily take. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just saying that that's, that's a solution that most people uh, don't, really, don't really think about. So you mentioned... You mentioned the scenario where you know information 
about the six unwilling participants. Um, you, you, the example you gave is the one by himself is a doctor, um, but that could go in any direction. You could say like, you know, does it change the, it at all if the five, um, the five people who are tied up are criminals, right? Are their lives now worth less? You know, yeah. is the one the president? You know, it's it's a, his death will cause chaos in, in a region, untold suffering. Um, do you do you would that change your answer at all? I mean, there's there's a, there's also a very complicated one where let's say the one is 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 a child and the five people are all in their 80s and they've had long full full life like and there's a child so do you choose to kill the one child and save the 80 year olds you know so there's there's a lot of variations that go in here and honestly each of these iterations is probably a 15 minute conversation in itself um, what you're talking about now is is not even hypothetical this is something that the United States medical field had to do in spades over the last year and a half with COVID with ventilators making decisions like this, like you have, and I actually, I don't, I don't know what, what their answers were. I think it varied on a case by case basis, but they had to make those same calls. They had to say, all right, we have five ventilators and we have seven people who have COVID. They'll all die. Any, each one of them will die without intervention from a ventilator and they have to say do we just go by who went first do we go by who has the best insurance do we go by who's important to society who who has the best chance of survival i think in triage situations they typically save whoever has the best chance of survival i, I believe that's the the medical practice that it's like well this person has a 70 percent chance of survival. This person is a 30%. Let's put our efforts in the 70%. I don't think they look at age. I don't think they look at sex. I don't think they look at um, if you're a CEO or a janitor. I think they just simply, they in a perfect world, that's how they just go with whoever has uh, the most, uh, the highest percentage of survival, uh, survivability. Um, again, it's not, we don't live in a perfect world. And maybe if the president did end up in that hospital, they would prioritize the president. I, I have a feeling they probably would. I wonder, I think you're right. I think that um, that's how it works. But I wonder if they would prioritize, say, the president, even if like his survival rate was slightly worse, just because of how important that person is. I, my, my gut tells me they would, that they would probably put the president first. And this is just based on like, I, you know, I don't know how true these stories are, but you hear these stories of like, so-and-so needs a kidney transplant and they're immediately put on the top of the list. Um, you know, so you, I've heard enough stories. Again, I don't know with 100% certainty if these stories are true, but I've definitely heard enough stories where celebrities or famous or VIP people are put on the top of liver slash kidney transplants just by virtue of them having lots of money or they wrote a nice, handsome, you know, 15 donation. million, yeah, donation check. And, you know, and, th and that, that like, like people think that the rich people are, are just being nice and they're giving a $10 million check because they really care. But there's also like an insurance thing of like, you know, you, you got my back, right? If I need a liver transplant, you, you know, you got me, right? And, you know, it's wink, wink, nod, nod. So oh, I hope that doesn't happen too often, but I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, like, I'm sure it has happened. And if not in the United States, I'm sure it's happened in other countries, you know, like, like yeah. undoubtedly. Um, so I think in instances like that, then th that's obviously corruption and that's, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be put yeah. to the top of a, uh, a liver transplant list um, because you gave a handsome check, you know, because. I, I think in the case you're referring to right now, that's not part of the trolley problem. It's, it's like a, per it's perversion of the system. No one, no one honestly believes that whoever pays, well, not no one, I'm sure there are people who do, but most people don't believe that whoever pays the most money should get the best treatment. It's just a side effect of greed. Yeah. Go, going back to the trolley problem though. So there, there is yeah. that, there is that nature of what is your knowledge beforehand is, 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 do you see a little five-year-old? Like when we talk about the one person versus the five people, do you see a five, a five-year-old as being the one person in the distance? Do you see a bunch of elderly people that look like they have maybe another three years left to live as a part of the five people? So, you know, in the most simple version, it's just one person versus five. 
And everyone just says, oh, yeah, 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 you know, kill the one person, save the five. Like it's simple arithmetic, right? Yeah. Um, but then when you actually put shades of humanity to these people, then it actually becomes a lot more complicated. I think that people underestimate the difference between making an active decision to kill someone and then letting just events unfold in front of you and doing nothing. Um, I think that this is something that was a cur- this was a curiosity for a decent amount of time that came up probably mostly, like you said, in the medical field until very recently. And now with the advent of artificial intelligence, specifically the advent of self-driving cars, this becomes, I think, a really important question. If you're in a car and the car only has two potential options for it, it can either crash and kill you or like, so let's, let's just use like a simple analogy of your car is driving on the highway and it's a one lane highway and the, the highway is separated by, or this, the, it's a one lane highway and it's, it's got like concrete dividers on both sides and your brakes fail and there's someone in the road. Does your car keep driving and run over and almost certainly kill the person in the road? Or does it stop itself by slamming into the divider as hard as it can, causing your car to crash and flip, likely killing you as well, uh, likely killing you, but saving the person on the road? Okay. Um, So there's a lot of things that go into this. The first variable that you're going to be looking at is the sophistication of the AI technology. So the, the AI technology, like let's take a look at the survivability rate. Is the AI sophisticated enough to predict, like if the car, let's say, swerves into the concrete barrier, what are your chances of surviving? Okay, because there are airbags in cars and there are, you're wearing your seatbelt. So the car, let's just say you're in the car and the car says, if we drive forward and hit this elderly lady who's ahead of us, she will die with, uh, you know, an 85% likelihood, right? However, if we swerve and go into the barricade, the person behind the steering wheel has a 30% chance of, of, of surviving or an 80% chance of surviving. So the AI has to be sophisticated enough to know what the percentage is of the person behind the steering wheel surviving if the car does do a head-on collision into the barricade. And that that's basically a question of how sophisticated is that technology in order to uh, assess that level of risk. For now, to keep it simple, let's. For now, to keep it simple, let's imagine that the car knows with certainty that either option is going to be a one hundred percent mortality for the the person chosen. Um. So your car is is deciding between you living or the pedestrian living. Okay. So so more. So how many people? Or is it just you in the car, or are there any passengers in the car? Because now let's the- let's start with just you in the car. Okay, so just you in the car, and it's a. So if the car hits the the person ahead of you, it's one hundred percent fatality for the person ahead of you. One hundred percent fatality if it swerves into the barricade and kills you. It's it's difficult for me to answer this question. I'm not trying to cop out here. I think it would be impossible to know with one hundred percent in the car situation. You know, with a with a trolley, you're getting run over by track, so fatality is pretty much assured. With a car, though, I think if it crashed into that barricade, there's always that possibility that the airbag would save you. I, I can't say I, I can't imagine a car ever knowing with 100% certainty that you would die crashing into that barricade. There are people who do get into horrendous car crashes, and they do end up surviving. So. That's, that's kind fair. of that's kind of the limitation I have with this. So you think so your so your line of thinking is that the car should make a decision based on the information it has available on who who is going to get harmed the least. I, I think that would be the way to go. And I, from my understanding, I could be wrong on this. The person behind the steering wheel is always going to be in a safer 
position than the person that's getting hit directly by the car. Again, I could be wrong about that. My, my, my theory is that if you're driving the car, you have the airbag, you may have side airbags, you may have a seatbelt, you have a number of things that are protecting you from fatality, whereas the person that's directly getting hit by a car traveling at 75 miles per hour has nothing in their corner. They have nothing that's there to protect them, whereas the, per, the driver at least has, very, you know, has numerous things that could potentially come to save them. And here's something else that that helps with that, with your argument, is that the driver chose to be in a car. This was their decision. The pedestrian is wholly innocent in this situation. Well, there's I, a, well, let, you know, I mean, what if that pedestrian was intoxicated? What if that pedestrian was not looking both ways before they crossed the street? I mean, I, again, like I, I, I hear you on that, but as in a United pedest- States, in the United States, these are nice to haves, but they are not laws. You can't murder someone with a car. And then your case in court be, well, they didn't look both ways. You would still go to jail. But if the you're, you're so right in, about that, but it could the, be it could be like a um, if, for example, like we, I have been driving and, the, you know, there is like a pedestrian that just shoots out of nowhere or just runs through the middle of the street. And you're right in the near in the United States. Um, you, the driver would be charged with probably something like involuntary manslaughter or whatever. Um, but to say that, like, see, now this is a sin of omission right here. So if that mm-hmm. pedestrian does not look both ways before crossing the street or knowingly runs across the street when they're not supposed to, that pedestrian is committing a sin of omission, that they did not take a necessary precaution to preserve their own life. Now, again, the law, the law favors the pedestrian, fine, fair enough. That's the law. I'm speaking about this in terms of absolute morality. So in terms of absolute morality, you could make the argument that if that pedestrian was like, screw this, I'm not looking both ways or screw this, I don't really care. You know, another like example is um, those people who have motorcycles. What, what's it called when a, a guy on a motorcycle um, kind of cuts through the lanes? Uh, this is the specific term like- uh, yeah, something like that. There's always that possibility that someone might just randomly open their car door and hit that guy or whatever. And that guy, that guy on the motorcycle who's just cutting in between cars, he's not necessarily taking a reasonable precaution in preserving his life. Um, you, you know, or, or people who ride mm-hmm. a motorcycle who don't wear a helmet, for example. It's like, are they they're committing a sin of omission? They're not wearing a helmet when they know that that helmet could protect them. So I, I get I get it that in terms of law. The driver is always responsible. In terms of absolute morality, you would have to know the state of the mind of the pedestrian and what and if they took a reasonable if they were taking a reasonable precaution when crossing the street. It's yeah, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, so I think what what makes this interesting to me is that like even though I agree with you hundred percent on all of this, and it sounds reasonable, I don't love the idea of an algorithm written into a computer program, crunching the numbers and making these decisions. It makes me uncomfortable. And, and you're the philosopher, so maybe you can explain to me why I don't like this so much. But just the idea of a, a car swerving into traffic to hit someone because the car decided, well, they probably would live anyway. Uh, it's more likely that you would suffer brain damage from, you know, from the accident. So we're just going to go ahead and hit this pedestrian. Okay, Brad, I think that your anxiety is not caused by the AI, but it's caused by the people writing the AI algorithms and that they may not have like the best intentions at play here. So I think, because I don't like, we never like blame the computer for being evil. We blame the people who program the computer for being evil. And I think most people have some kind of anxiety that the car manufacturer is going to design the algorithm that kind of protects them best from personal liability and not Definitely. necessarily not necessarily in a way that saves human lives. It could just be a question of like, uh, well, if it crashes into this barricade, our insurance liability is blah, blah, blah. Right. So mm-hmm. that's where my that's where my concern comes from, that like the people programming these algorithms, like 
are they necessarily looking at what the right moral thing to do is, or are they programming the algorithm to work in such a way that makes them look the least guilty or the least culpable or makes it seem as if their car is the safest, you know? Yeah. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example of how that could play out. If the car is programmed to hit the little old lady that's straight ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Then that doesn't test the airbags, that doesn't test the seatbelt, it doesn't test other the other safety features. However, if the car is programmed to swerve, now you have you you open yourself up to more lawsuits because people will be like, oh well, you know the airbag didn't work the way that it was supposed to. Whereas if the car is simply programmed to hit the little old lady, you're saving yourself having to deal with all of those other lawsuits because the airbag may not be activated or the, the driver is not as much of a risk. And that's where kind of like, I hate to say it, nasty, selfish human nature kind of comes into play and kind of corrupts that quote unquote pure algorithm. Um, the, the, uh, the thing that also troubles me a bit here is that people can, when, if, if you're not making a decision, if you, if you're, if you, I would, I know you could argue that any, even no decision is a decision, but in this case, I don't think it is, or for what I'm about to say, it's not. If you're not making a decision and you're just going, okay, um, do nothing, then that's not easily exploitable. However, you can have, machines are really bad at detecting bad faith actors. Bad faith, uh, in this case, uh, just to give you and, and the viewers a little bit of a refresher here, is when someone follows the letter of a law, but breaks the spirit, or not even a law. It could just be a rule or like an unspoken um, custom. Uh, when you're doing what is legally allowed or, or legally allowed in the sense of your customs and your communities, but are still trying to like subvert what people had in mind when they came up with these ideas, you're acting in bad faith. So machines are bad at detecting bad faith actors because how could they, they all they can do is they can go on the rules that are put in front of them and is everyone following the rules and if they're not then or and if they are then then everything's everything's kosher so what if like for example you program into your car like you know if there's more people in the car than there are in the crosswalk kill people in the crosswalk to preserve the extra lives of people in the car, right? So what if I start, what if I start driving with rocks in my car to <laughs> trick the car into thinking that I have a lot of people? What if I start crossing the street? You ever see those, those, um, you ever see those performers like on the boardwalk that like, they have like a bunch of like puppets, like tethered to them. So it looks like they're like a group of people dancing. Yes. Yes. Like, what if I, what if I decide I'm going to start wearing that out so that if a self-driving car is ever coming at me, it'll always think I'm a group of 50 people. Okay. So my answer to all of this is it's, it's really, so the morality then becomes a question of transparency. So let's just say Toyota is developing a self-driving car and they're, they're, they're grappling with this issue and they decided the best course of action is for the car to always swerve. Okay. Let's just say that that's the decision that they they have a bunch of moral philosophers come, they listen to this podcast, and they just decide the best decision for them to make is the car to always swerve. How transparent is, is that being made to, to the general public and to the people driving these cars? So I think that if the person buying the car is told, hey, listen, as soon as you get in this car, we're just letting you know, we're just letting you know, if it comes between you and a person ahead of you, the car is going to swerve. We're, we're letting you know up front. We'd like you to sign this end user agreement, knowing that you're fully aware that the <laughs> that's car totally how they would do it too. But now, but, here, but, but here's how, but here's where the morality really gets here. The, you know, the devil's always in the details. If it's a stupid, like thousand page document that no one ever reads, then that's morally corrupt because they know you're not going to read that document. They, they know that you're not paying attention. So, I think that when they're designing these algorithms, the onus is to be as transparent as possible, meaning the car dealer is legally responsible to, to disclose 
that information to you in plain, simple English of like, if you buy this Toyota right now, it will swerve into the barricade if it's a life and death situation. Well, and so the thing would be, the thing would be there would be that one, it would be, that would be very complicated to explain to a layman. Cause I would imagine the calculation being done to decide would be big. And then two, transparency is not always the right call. And I'll give you an example. Currently, Tesla, they do not allow you or me or anyone, I guess, to fully do self-driving. You have to have your hands on the wheels at all time, even when the car is self-driving itself, right? And they told people, we have a sensor in the wheel that detects if you're not driving. And if we detect that your hands are not on the wheel, well, then you're going to have to put your hands on the wheel or the car won't go. What people have done is they've made these like things that are like electroconductive, kind of like the gloves that let you play with your cell phone, even without fingers, right? Um, and they like tape them to their steering wheels. And that tricks the car into thinking that there's someone touching the wheel, thus fully autonomous self-driving, right? People are taking advantage of that transparency to break the rules. Okay, so here's, again, in terms of morality, here's what it would come down to. If Tesla disclosed, here's how it works, then Tesla is not morally culpable because they did the right thing by offering uh, true blue transparency. Now, if somebody decides to tape gloves to the steering wheel, well, then the moral responsibility then shifts to the nefarious actor who tried to cheat the system. So that person, let's say that person um, tapes the gloves to the steering wheel and they get into a horrendous accident as a result of that. Maybe, maybe the punishment would be, well, guess what? You can't sue anybody. Guess what? Um, you know, you now risk these, you risk this lawsuit now and you have to pay for it. Or perhaps insurance companies are exempt from paying out cases where people taped gloves to a steering wheel right so maybe if you maybe if you tape gloves to the steering wheel your insurance company is now exempt from paying out a cash settlement or something like that because you willfully broke the law you willfully did that so i think that for any company out there if you're listening do the right thing and give out the information will there be dumbasses who break the law and act in a nasty way yes but you've the most important thing in all of these things is that you've morally absolved yourself of guilt doesn't matter how the other person acts doesn't matter how they act or what stupid things they do as long as you did the right thing up front by being transparent you've morally absolved yourself from the stupidity of, of others yeah i i would agree i think that uh that that you're right but i also think that beyond just the idea of like you know like oh the um we we're legally we're not legally liable anymore it's also like at what point are you just setting up like the setting up society itself to just be in a bad place even if you're not going to be in trouble for it because you, it's like if you're if you're counting on human nature to not take every shortcut they can to get what they want, then I, I think you're in for a bad time. Okay, know? so let's let's look at the inverse of this situation. So let's say Tesla decides, you know what? People can't be trusted. Let, let's not tell them about how the steering wheel works. Let's do, you know, like, let's say they go the other road and decide to, to hide information. The truth always comes out, okay? The truth will always find a way. There'll always be some clever guy who figures out the truth, figures out the loophole, uploads that crap to YouTube. And now, now what has happened is now people are breaking the law or doing, you know, doing that unsavory thing. And now the trust in the company has been broken. So I would say that two sins kind of result in that because if they go in the way of like, you know, we have to be the parent, we have to, it's kind of, you know, I'll give you another example of this. It's like, imagine there's a parent that, like lies to their kid and says like, you know, they're, they're so ashamed to tell their kid how sex works. So they say, oh, the stork delivers babies or the tooth fairy comes. And then the, and the parent will justify this behavior by saying, well, you know, like they're too young to really understand how sex works or something. And, and I was ashamed to talk about it, or I thought that they would, 
you know, do something bad with that information, the truth always comes out, right? Like the kid will always eventually find out how sex works. And now that child is not going to trust their parent because they were fed um, false information, right? So it's the same thing with these companies. It's like if they decide to play the role of big brother and hide the truth, the truth will always come out. There'll always be some clever cat who figures it out, uploads it to Facebook and YouTube. And now, now you have people breaking the law and you have universal mistrust in this company for suppressing the truth. Yeah, that could be true. Um, I think that transparent, I think that, so I think that you have to be transparent, but I think that unfortunately it would be impossible to be totally transparent. It's easier in the case of my example where you're like self-driving car, I mean, not self-driving car, hands on the steering wheel or your car won't drive. It's harder in the set. How are you going to, I'm sure the eventual algorithm to determine who lives and who dies would be fairly complex. It would be not something that the layman could easily understand. It would probably be like a weighted calculation of a bunch of factors. So again, like here, here's the thing about this AI technology. And this is, this is where, you know, I, I don't know much about it. So it really, it's a question of how sophisticated the AI is. So from my understanding, AI um, is able to detect human life by like heat waves or something like that. How advanced is that? Can, can the AI detect the age of the person based on their heat, heat waves? Can it detect, you know, other, other factors about those humans based on their heat waves or whatever it is that it's using? So I, I think if it's just a question of like, you hit this heat wave or swerve into the into the barricade. It's probably a, sim, a more simplistic answer. As the technology evolves and the, the AI knows that this lady ahead of you is a 57-year-old grandma and she has three grandchildren, like, I don't know if it'll ever get to that level. That's when I think the algorithm would get more complicated based on the information and the calculations that, that it knows. I mean, could the AI eventually predict that like, like for example, not all barricades are created equal, right? So may maybe, mm -hmm. maybe this, maybe in this instance, the barricade, you know, you have a better chance of surviving, but with this other barricade, you have a less chance of, of surviving. So it would get to a point of like how sophisticated, like the, the more sophisticated the, the AI is, the more complicated the explanation will be. So that's, it, it really comes down to how sophisticated can we make this AI and how sophisticated are we willing to make this AI? So, I mean, I see what you're, you're trying to do. If we could get a perfect understanding of the situation of their age and their value in society and their likelihood of survival and the likelihood of survival of you and how many people are in the crosswalk and how many people are in the car, then like th th it becomes less of a problem. I think the, the point of the, the thought experiment and now real world scenario is that no, AI absolutely would not be able to easily tell the age of someone. AI would definitely not be able to, to easily, um, even like even necessarily telling how many people are, are there might screw up, right? You run the risk of that. Uh, facial recognition is not always 100% accurate. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's all we have to work with is what we have now. So the question is, based on what we have now, would you want a self-driving car to be making these decisions? So I think that since we don't, since I'm I'm assuming that the technology is not as complicated as what we described just just a second ago, then it seems like most of these answers are going to be binary. It's going to be a binary zero or one answer. Hit the lady, swerve into the um the barricade right that's what i'm assuming it's going to be so if the answers are simply binary between you do this or you do that then i think it would be very easy for these companies to be transparent as to what the algorithm will choose to do since it's a very basic binary answer so i don't i i don't see what, why there would be this giant hiccup if, if, if it is if, if, if we are using very binary decision-making here and it's not looking at the heart rate of the driver and all these other kind of complicated uh, details, then I, I, think, I think it should be able to go off very easily because we'd be like, hey, it's a very binary answer. If you are in this situation, the car will decide to do A or it'll decide to do B. 
Everyone knows that the car dealership and, and the manufacturer is able to easily give out that information. The driver of the car easily knows what they're getting into, and I don't see any problems. I only see it becoming a problem when the technology evolves beyond binary decision making. Yeah, I guess, like I said, I guess my issue is I don't want these car dealerships ever making any decisions on who lives and who dies. I would rather they hit the five people due to inaction than take any, make any kind of calculation, no matter how good I, I might think it is, to, to spare someone versus kill someone else. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thought, but okay, l l I want I, can you say that again, actually? Just say that again about, so what do you want the car to do, Brett? I, I want the car, I do not want the car to make any decisions. I do not want the car to make any decisions about who should live and who should die. I want it to run on a static decision-making process, meaning the car will, it's, it's driving and it, uh, you know, detects a, <laughs> basically a paradox. And then when that happens, I want it essentially to shut itself off. Oh, okay, but you know? it is, but it is making a decision because if, if let's say the car is driving and there's a little old lady that's like straight ahead of you and it's right, the car is choosing to stay linear. So that's a decision right there. The car is deciding to remain in the linear position and hit the old lady that's directly in front of you. So in a way, the car is still making a decision and just choosing to stay the course and, and proceed in a linear fashion. Yeah, but it's not, it's not programmed into, there's no way to like exploit it. It's not like programmed logic into the thing where, where they made a decision. They just said like, it'll just turn off. And if that results in the pedestrian dying, so be it. If that results in the driver dying, so be it. Uh, we're not making a decision on this. It'll be a tragedy because that's what it's going to be anyway, but it's not going to be a tragedy of our, it's not going to be a tragedy of our own making, right? It won't be one that we engineered. Okay, well, hold on now. So if, let, let's say they go with your idea of just shutting the car down. I mean, how about the speeds? Like I could imagine, like, let's say you're traveling 30 miles per hour and the car just suddenly shuts off. It could be argued that the driver is going to be a lot safer. Like if a car suddenly comes to a stop at 30 miles per hour, you know, the driver might just get like horse, like, uh, what's it called? Um, horse whipped or something like that. You know, they might be okay, but, but like if whiplash, the car, whiplash, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> horse whip is not a pleasant, right? Horse whip, man, I'm losing my mind. Okay. So the car, the car is traveling 30 miles per hour. And then the person, the driver just experiences whiplash. Now the car is traveling 90 miles per hour and the car just comes to a sudden stop, man, that you, you could break your neck, right? I could see the driver breaking their neck and, and like, like, I feel like there's so many circumstances that, that could well, happen. The thing is like even stop, even coming to a sudden stop is something that you can't necessarily account for because one of the things that might be causing this, this accident is, is a brake failure. The only thing that can completely absolve you of any kind of effort is if the car stops making decisions entirely, not braking, not turning, just turning off or doing nothing. If, if you like that better, but it's the same thing, right? So, and not necessarily, you could be in a scenario where you're, you're heading for a barricade and you need to swerve to not hit the barricade, but swerving might potentially cause you to hit other people. So you're, in a way, you're kind of agreeing to my solution to the trolley problem where, you're, drive, where you're driving the car and may, maybe in each of these cars, there's a random number generator, okay? And mm -hmm. if it's between the old lady and the barricade, if the random number generator just randomly hits one, it goes to the barricade. If it hits two, it hits the old lady. So in a way, you're removing moral culpability from the car itself by having a random, a random number generator kick in that makes a decision. It's not making that decision based on who will be more likely to survive. It's just simply it's, if, it's, if, if the random number lands on one, hits the barricade, lands on two, hits the old lady or whatever. So is that, is that what you're proposing? Yeah, basically, but not, 
I, I don't want it to, to willingly do make a random decision and then execute that decision. I just want it to do nothing. I want the randomness to come from the situation. Okay. So let, let's think about this a little bit and it might be the way to go. You know, I'm just, I, I don't have the answer. I'm kind of entertaining this as we go along here. So if, if you're, let's say you, Brett, are the pedestrian, you're walking down there and someone's driving the car and the random number generator goes off and it lands on one, which means proceed forward and hit the pedestrian and you get hit and you die. And then some forensic scientist or whoever, you know, the EMTs arrive and they said, man, if only that car had hit the barricade, the driver would have most likely survived. It wouldn't have been so bad. But because the random generator turned on and just said, hit the person straight ahead, that's what the car did. Even though if, if, if there was some like decision, if, if the car had some executive functioning ability, it would have hit the barricade and the driver would have most likely survived. How would you feel about that? So, so first of all, my preference would be the opposite of what you just said, where it would be like, you know, like the car shut itself off and slammed into a barricade, killing the driver. And then the EMTs look and they're like, if the car just would have randomly chosen to go to the left, then it would have hit this guy who was, you know, let's say, um, you know, on a bike wearing all this safety gear. The car was only going 30 miles per hour. He probably just would have flipped over the hood, had some broken ribs, but been otherwise fine versus hitting a barricade with the airbags, not deploying, killing the driver instantly. Okay, but right. let's, let, let's think about this though. I think in most car crashes, the pedestrian is the one that is most likely to get seriously hurt. I mean, like, yeah, like probably, it's yeah. kind of rant, like maybe there's a dude with like, you know, knee pads and a helmet on and uh, looks like one of those crash yeah. dummies, you know, like I, you know, but most likely, that person has no protection whatsoever. Whereas the person behind the steering wheel is afforded the airbags, the seatbelt, and all other things meant to save that person. So if I was there, I would be like, let's, let's prioritize the pedestrian and not the driver, just by virtue of the fact that drivers just have a, a greater a greater survivability rate when it comes to these kind of head-on collisions. I, yeah. So I'm not, I, I think you're right that there are definitely going to be cases like that, but I think it'll do more harm than good. And I think that we currently have a system where people die in car accidents all the time. This would greatly reduce the number of car accidents already by taking human error out of the equation to introduce human error back in in the form of a human making a decision no good right but you're, um, you're i think that the victims though like and let's let's look at it this way suppose you're a father now and your five-year-old daughter is you know is is the pedestrian right and if the ai had just swerved the 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 driver would have experienced whiplash but as a result of it not swerving your five-year-old daughter was hit and killed it's like you're not going to necessarily be like oh well you know i this is the way that the um the, you know as long as it's not human error right you're not gonna that's not gonna make your suffering any less you're not gonna be like well my daughter was killed by an ai so it's not so bad at least it wasn't a human that killed my daughter you're still gonna be like completely devastated by the fact that a vehicle killed your daughter. And you're, you may not blame humans, but you'll probably blame the humans who program that algorithm to not, to not swerve and like avoid hitting your daughter. I think that it's not an AI that's doing it. That's the whole point. Actually, the AI did not kill your daughter. The AI shut itself off when it couldn't find a, a solution that allowed every single person to be safe and your daughter was killed by random chance. And then she would be like, you should have programmed something in that would have saved her. But then the other family could come right over and be like, I don't want my person, I don't want my grandma to die just so your daughter can live because some egghead deemed her to be more, more valuable. Well, I, I think the question would be like, now here's the thing, okay? Let, let's just say we're in this situation and, and then let's say I'm the father and it's my daughter that, that you know, is in this situation. Or, you know what, 
how about this? How, how about I have a son and he's driving a car? Okay, my son is driving a car and he's in this car, this self-driving car, and the car swerves and hits the barricade. As a result of hitting the barricade, my son dies and I'm, I'm devastated, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody says, well, look, man, you know, your son had a 50% chance of living or a 50% chance of dying hitting that barricade. And that was, that was the best probability that we could give your son. If your son driving that car hit a pedestrian, that pedestrian had an 85% chance of dying. Am I still going to be upset? Yes. But, but I might be able to say to myself, okay, my son had a 50% chance surviving the barricade, whereas the pedestrian, you know, like there was an 85% chance they were going to die. I can kind of live with that. I can kind of live with the fact that like, yes, it's tragic. My son has died, but that was the, that was the most optimal outcome for all parties involved. It doesn't make me, doesn't make my grieving any less, but I can at least rationalize in my head that the AI chose the most optimal outcome for preserving human life. I mean, we're starting to drill into opinion territory, I feel. But here's a silly hypothetical. Like, what if you have a, a, young, a young doctor, right? Is it, she's going to be in, in the demographic of people who are always favored by self-driving cars. She'll be, when she's walking down the street, she'll be able to walk right in front of these cars and they will swerve and kill their drivers to avoid her. She has like a superpower. Okay. okay. Because, because the cars, the cars make snap judgments that she's more important and thus they kill the drivers instead. It's crazy. Okay, like, so I know let's, that's a silly way to look at it, but okay, it's crazy. So let's, here's, here's what I think is the compromise here. Okay. The car is designed always to preserve human life in whatever is the most optimal fashion. Okay. It's not a, and where this is where it stops. This is where the buck stops. The car does not use any demographic information in deciding who's more important. It doesn't look at your age. It doesn't look at your occupation. It doesn't look at your income level. It doesn't look at any other factors. So if the AI is programmed simply with the only, the only criteria that's there is to preserve human life in the most optimal fashion, I believe that is okay. And, and no demographic information is inserted whatsoever. I don't care if it's the president driving that car or a surgeon driving the car. None of that stuff is, matters. I think we could all get behind that. I, I think that there is weight in making decisions versus not making decisions. Um, I think that it sounds silly and even cruel to say like, oh, so you're saying that if you had the choice to run over one person to save the life of five people, you wouldn't do it. But I think that's why the trolley problem is the trolley problem is because for me, uh, yeah, I I think it's worse to make a decision to kill someone than have inaction and have circumstance kill someone. I, you know, I, I hear you on that. And I, 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 so you're, you're saying that a sin of commission is worse than, um, than leaving, leaving it up to chance or leaving it up to a sin of omission, just because you've, someone played a knowing, like someone knowingly played a role in that death, like all sins of commission involve the actor playing a knowing role in it. And in your, in your opinion, that is far worse. I think that people are going to inevitably make worse decisions on who is worthy of life than, than you're giving them credit for. I think, I think that if there's no demographic information that the AI has access to, it's just one heat wave. Like, so if the AI is deciding it's this heat wave or this cluster of heat waves versus this heat wave, right? We're just heat waves to the AI. That's all that it sees. And the question just becomes what's going to cause the least amount of harm to this heat wave versus that heat wave. I think there's, it's never perfect. Okay. It's not a perfect decision, but it's a, fairly objective decision. You're making a fairly objective decision that, you know, in all probability, this heat wave will be safer than that heat wave. And if you look at human beings as heat waves, 
you're, you're removing the subjective biases that might plague some of these systems. I think what might help you see my point of view here is don't think of the car, don't think of the AI as making the decision because it's not. It's more like a group of people who programmed the algorithm. So think of it as like a group of, in this case, it would be engineers and project managers are deciding who lives and who dies. It's not really the car. The car is executing the will of these other people. And so it's, would you, so think of it as like when the car, think of it like this, and this might just be, this might actually be a, a negative against my point. This might actually be me hurting my own argument, but uh, so be it, is when, when you're about to get in an accident, imagine, if you will, time stops for a second, and then we, we, we astral project out of the road, out of the car, into just a boardroom. And there's like four engineers and two project managers and the vice president of marketing and two lawyers. And they're all just sitting around a table and they're like, well, what if we made it so if the woman is pregnant, we give her two more points of weight. And then someone's like, let's make it like one and a half because you know, this, this, and this. Like, okay, that sounds good. And they're taking their notes. They're like, well, what if, what if woman versus man? And then he's like, I think women should be rated more highly. And then the guy's like, no, 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 no. That would leave us legally culpable for certain things. We can't do that. And he's like, oh, you're right. You're right. I'll take that out right away. And they come to a conclusion. And then they're like, okay, so we've come to the conclusion that people who have this many points versus people that have that many points, the car should kill the people with that many points. And they go, yep, sounds good. Uh, what do you want to get for lunch? It's starting to get late. And then they break for lunch and then time unfreezes and the car makes their decision and kills someone. Because okay. that's essentially what's happening. Okay, so this is this is where it comes down to. If those decisions in that boardroom are being made out of subjective opinions, like some guy saying, I think, you know, blonde people should be given more weight, or I think that pregnant ladies should be given more weight. Well, that's now subjective. There's a subjective value of human life that is entering into that boardroom. However, if we go to that boardroom and every decision is made off of case studies and statistics being like, hey, just, you know, uh, in, in, this, in this instance, it's more likely that the driver will survive or it's more likely the pedestrian will survive. If everything is not made out of like, if, they, if, they're, if those people in those boardrooms are not making any decisions based on the subjective worth of individual human beings, and it's simply being made out of case studies, statistics, and data, which are not 100%, but you know, you're a data guy and I know you like data. I think that I could live with that. If, 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 the, if it's not based on like pregnant women are worth more than a 50 year old man, if that stuff is omitted from the criteria of consideration and it's just being made on like who is more likely to survive, I think I could live with that. There is no such thing as objective evaluation of human life. It can't be done. It's, 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 Everything is going to be subjective. But it's objective. I mean, it's objective in that, like, in this instance, the driver has the better chance of surviving. So your objective criteria is simply who has the better chance of surviving, a pedestrian or a driver. Okay. And we're leaving out heart conditions. We're leaving out demographic information. We're leaving out pregnancy. We're just like, who in this, if we have a generic person, generic driver, generic um, pedestrian. And, you know, maybe we could just have a composite individual. So we could have generic composite individuals who are like an agglomeration of, of like just regular generic humans who would survive a driver or a pedestrian. So we're using the most generic version of a human being and then deciding who is more likely to survive the driver or the pedestrian. That's how the algorithm is being programmed where we're, we're just using the most rudimentary understanding of what a human being is and omitting all other kind of pre-existing conditions. I don't think that the technology is far enough right now that the car would, that the people, like I said the car again, but like, I don't think you can build a model, a data model complex enough to give you a percentage chance of surviving a car accident. Certainly not on the fly like that. It would take too long for the car to, to figure out what's happening and make that decision. It's too complex. The best you could do probably with today's technology would be number of people. And then even, even then these, you're like, they're like, so you're saying like, even if we could determine the odds of surviving the crash, would we, would you also add in the number of people? I mean, why not? It's, it's just as valid 
as a, a detecting um it's just as valid a means of detecting like life loss worth right number of people multiplied by their each of one's individual odds of surviving the crash against people in the car and then their odds of surviving the crash and then now you get into like are fetuses people do pregnant women count as two people Okay, um, what about age? Age is something that we no, can... No, so no demographic information is being used. And to answer this question, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure of this, but maybe someone who works for the insurance company can kind of step in and, and correct me on this. If it's just a basic question of who is, who has a higher survivability rate, driver or pedestrian, I think in most cases, the driver or the people with inside the car are going to have a better shot than someone just being hit by a vehicle. I, I just think on a, on a very surface level, anyone who has the privileges of an airbag, of a seatbelt, is just at a better chance of surviving than somebody who's just being hit with a car and has none of those things whatsoever. So I think, again, removing removing all of those things, I think that the default conclusion would be protect the pedestrian because they don't have any of these things to protect them at all. It's just a bot, it's just flesh hitting metal. Whereas the person, the people within that car have airbags, have seatbelts, have cushions, have a host of things that increase their rate of survival. So I think in that instance, you're just making a rudimentary decision that like protect the pedestrian just by virtue of the fact that they're in a car and a pedestrian is a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and like I said, maybe, maybe in this instance, the most moral thing to do is to keep the algorithm as rudimentary as humanly possible. And even if the potential is there to calculate pregnant woman and all this other stuff, just don't use it because it's just a question of like, some, sometimes sometimes being simple is actually the, the, the more moral answer, you know? Yeah. Um, Brett, thank you so much for coming on this trolley ride with me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Aaron. This concludes the 155th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.